0: a uh, Christ-like mindset. Um, and so when we get to verse 12 here, which is where we're going to be this morning, we're jumping off that. In fact, the first word in verse 12 is therefore. And when you see therefore, you ask, what is it therefore?" Well, it's there because verses 1 through 9, uh, 1 through 11 talked about uh, to, um, to consider others as important as yourself, to uh, look out for the interests of others. Uh, to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. And so because of that, this is, okay, how do we apply that now? What do we do with our lives? Uh, And that's where we're at this morning. So let's go ahead and we'll pray, and then we'll dig into the lesson. Um, uh, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and pray for us? Um, So let's look at Philippians 12, 12 through 18. Who would like to read that for us this morning? Matt, go ahead. So, Paul concludes the section on having the right mindset in verses 1 that should be verses 1 through 11 and then goes on to apply it to our sanctification and our actions. Uh, when we think of the way Christ thought with a humble, servant like, sacrificing attitude, our actions will go on to reflect that we have a proper mindset. So, this is putting uh, verses 1 to 11 in practice, as I said. This is, okay, what do we do when, we, uh, when we're considering others as better than ourselves, when we're putting uh, others' interests ahead of our own, when we're humbling ourselves, when we have a, a mindset like Christ, who, who is humble, who is a, a servant mindset, who is sacrificing himself for us. What does that look like? And that's what we're looking at this morning. Um, So starting in verses 12, and I love verses 12 and 13. These are two verses that I go to a lot uh, when people ask about sanctification and what does it look like and how does it work. This is one of the places I like to start. So uh, these are two very cool verses to me. Um, They're not cool throughout the whole Bible, mind you, but I like these two. Um, So number one here is to be responsible uh, for your own sanctification. Again, point A kind of covers the therefore. It's based on our unselfish Christ-like attitude. Again, that should be verses 1 through 11. I'm not sure why I kept on thinking 9 when I was typing this, but that happens sometimes. Um, So based on the attitude that to have, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So it talks about obedience here. It brings up obedience. What are we supposed to do with the right attitude? Well, we're supposed to obey what Christ wants us to do. And obedience is a key component of that, that we ought to obey Christ. Uh, Paul here makes um, a statement, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence. And when we think about that, we think it's always easy to do what's right when you have other people around you that are doing what's right, and want you to do what's right, and are encouraging you to do what's right. That's the easy part, right? You know, you come to church on a Sunday morning, uh, it's easier for your attitude to be a little more right, it's easier for you to be kinder to people, it's easier for you to want to serve, because you're around people that are expecting that of you. And I think maybe that's what Paul's saying here, you have obeyed while in my presence, but he also said, but now much more in my absence, so... In Paul's absence, when he's not looking over their shoulder, when he's not seeing what they're doing, how they're living their lives, he's heard a testimony, and remember in chapter 1 he talked about that their testimony came to him even in his imprisonment in Rome. And he's heard this testimony that they are obeying, they are doing what's right. In fact, he says that they're they're obeying much more. They had this consistent testimony of obedience. Let's look at Philippians 1.27. Sorry, I can't even read this one. Philippians 127, who wants to read that? Lynn, go ahead. So he he commands them in chapter 1, verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This has to deal with the way they're living, with their obedience. And he says, whether I hear about it or I'm absent, do what's right. So it, it shouldn't matter that Paul's there, Paul's not there. Paul's encouraging the Philippians to do what they are supposed to be doing, that they are to be obedient no matter what. And in fact, he's saying here that much more my absence, work on your obedience. And then he talks about working out your salvation. Now, um, we go over this a lot. I think it's good to go over it, and maybe you're tired of hearing it. So, um, we have the word salvation here. And we need to understand, and this is important, when we see the word salvation, depending on the context, it can mean a number of different things, right? So, the, the number one way that we think of salvation usually is what? Being be saved. Being saved, justification, right? The act of going from someone who is outside of God's grace to being in God's grace, the act of going from being an unbeliever to a believer. That that we talk about that, that's salvation. And that's true. That's in the Bible. That's very clear. What's another way salvation is used? Okay, physical salvation. Yeah, we sing a song about that. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That's not talking about God saving us from our sins. That's not talking about the other type of salvation. This is a physical deliverance. This is God uh, going in, especially in the nation of Israel, David talks a lot about the Lord's salvation. He's talking about that God helped him to win battles against his enemies, and that was His salvation to David. So that's another one, physical salvation. Number three, what's another one? Sanctification. Thank you, sanctification. Where's a verse that talks about sanctification? Flip. What's that? Okay? This verse, too. Yeah, I, was, I didn't look at Philippians 1.6. Could, you could be right on that. But this verse, this verse is the one I always go to because it talks about working out your salvation. As we understand salvation, if I was talking about being saved, you can go to Ephesians 2.8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is now yourself as a gift of God, not by works. So if that's true, and this is about being saved, Then there's a problem, because the Bible's contradicting itself, saying now you need to work out your salvation. So that can't be that. So what can it be? Well, working out your salvation, this is the sanctification. This is the process of going from being saved from your sinfulness, from your wickedness, from your unsaved lifestyle, to becoming like Christ, to be living the right way. So you have sanctification. What's the fourth one that we generally think of? Glorification. Glorification, thank you. What's glorification, Abigail? Yeah, glorification is when the sin nature is removed, we're saved from the sinfulness that we are, and we become like Christ because we see him as he is. So, very good. I asked the Bible college student because she better know that. So, so this one, obviously, this one's not talking about being saved from our enemies, which I would usually put first, but that's not the one we usually think of. This one's not talking about being saved because it's talking about working out your salvation. So, it's not talking about the justification. This one's not talking about the glorification, because we don't do anything to be glorified. That's God who does that at his return. So this has to be sanctification, right? So working on your salvation here, that's sanctification. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I don't know why my Bible Works program puts in chapter 10, 1, why I don't have verse 1 in there, but it's, <laughs> it does that once in a while. Nathan, go ahead. You not Why do I bring this verse up? Well, this this shows you that living the Christian life is something you work at. This is something that you put effort into. Look at the illustrations that are here. Running a race, fighting a fight. Um, then it talks about disciplining my body, bringing in subjection. Um, the idea of your, your sanctification is a process that takes work. It takes effort. It takes uh, focus on doing it. This is not something that just comes about and happens. This is not something that you sit on your couch and let God do the work and voila, timer's done, I'm, I'm there, I got it. No, it's, it's something that you even put effort in. And you look at Paul, and again, if I were to rank um, people who live for God and, and, and were spiritual people, I put Paul towards the top of the list because this is what I know about Paul. There, I, I'd be amazed in the presence of Paul. And Paul Paul's say, I've got to work hard at this. I got I to gotta discipline my body. I, I, I run like I want to win a race. I fight like I want to win a fight. I, I'm, I'm working hard at this. And if Paul says that, that should be true of all of us, that we need to put the effort into our sanctification. He adds on, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, two words that I just realized, I forgot my commentary and didn't put the quote in there, so I'm not going to get the MacArthur quote this morning. So sorry about that. Um, so with fear, a couple of verses, um, Proverbs one seven. Isabel, go ahead. Fear of the Lord, and the Lord, I appreciate uh, what Dr. Paul said about fear because I talked about uh, fear in his passage too, uh, and just talking about the reverence. And a lot of times I felt like reverence was just not enough, but it's a reverence in who God is. It's a reverence in His nature, in His character, and understanding His holiness, and therefore. Our sinfulness, our depravity, and just what God's grace is. And so I just I appreciate you sharing that, Dr. Paul, um, because that that helps me a lot. And that's the kind of fear that we ought to have of God, that we understand who he is, that we understand where we stand before God, that um, it's all based on his grace. It's all based on his mercy to us. And that helps us to see, okay, I need to focus on this. I need to focus on this effort to be the type of person that God wants me to be. Another one, uh, Proverbs 8.24. Another reader? Who wants to read? You're too young to read. Go ahead, Abigail. And happy is the man who is always reverent. The word reverent is the same word fear. It's just translated different for, this, for some reason here. Happy is the man who is always fearful, who is always, but that idea of reverence of God that uh, he who hardens his heart falls into calamity. So with fear, and then also with trembling, and, and trembling um, maybe is the outward showing of it, maybe it's, it's, it kind of is another way of saying this here. Uh, McCarthy had a great quote, and I wish I would have brought the commentary to share with you because it really helped me a lot. Now I don't remember what it is. Um, anyway, so we need to be responsible for our own sanctification. Uh, 1 John 2.6 kind of sums up. Go ahead, Jenna. So if you say you're in Christ, if you say I'm part of who Christ is, there's a responsibility that you need to walk the way Christ walked. You need to walk in the same way. We are responsible for our own sanctification. No, it's it's not. Thanks, Sutherland. So number one, be responsible for your own sanctification Number two, allow God to work out your sanctification. Now, if you start to think about it, you understand that I'm saying two separate things. We need to be responsible for our own sanctification, but we need to let God work in our lives to sanctify us. Which is true. Yes. Yes, they're true. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Why does this have to do with sanctification? Well, does that do? To will and to do. What are we doing? We're, the way we're living our lives. What's going on in our lives. And this verse says, "Is God who works in you. So while we put in 100% of the effort, and while we work to be the type of people God wants us to be, God's going to work in us too. And he's going to come alongside and help us and, and work in us, guide us, direct us, give us tools that we have so that we can be sanctified. So, uh, God will work in us. A couple verses that we want to look at. 2 Corinthians 3.5. Another reader, please. Josiah, go ahead.
1: Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God.
0: See, I think that if you have element number one here, that you're responsible for your own sanctification, I've got to do it, i got to work hard at it. Guess what? We're not sufficient in and of ourselves. We can't do it on our own. Our sufficiency here, it talks about, comes from God. That is from him that we have the means to be Christ-like in our lives. We have the means to be holy as he is holy because he's working in us. Now, that doesn't negate our responsibility to do what we're supposed to do, but we can't do it without God. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21. Another reader. So you look at verse verse 20 especially. Him who is able to do not what's just necessary, not you know what we ask for, but exceedingly above all that we ask or even think. That's the kind of power God has to work in us. And then it goes on to say according to the power that works in us, it's God who is working in our lives. It's God who is working to grow us. Again, this is a partnership between us doing what we're supposed to be doing. This is us being committed to living holy lives for God. We have to make that commitment. We need to make that effort. We need to run the race. We need to fight the fight. But God's going to give us that power, that, that exceedingly above what we're even asking to do. He's going to work in us. And so um, it's God who is working in us. And it says two things in this verse, both to will. And, and the, will, that the word for will here is a, verse, a word that means desire. So it's what you desire to do. God's going to change our desires. Uh, let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm sure this is a familiar verse to many of you. Olivia, go ahead. verse 1 talks about the actions. Present your body as a living sacrifice. This is, this is what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian. This is how you're supposed to act. You're supposed to be sacrificing yourself for the cause of Christ and for others around you. Verse 2 talks about transforming your mind that you understand what God's will is that you can approve it, that you can see that it is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. Uh, that God's will is exactly what you need in your life. God's will is exactly what you need to desire in your life and there's a transforming or renewing of your mind that causes that. So God wants us to desire what He desires. God wants us to seek what He seeks. God wants us to be uh, wanting to do what He wants us to do. There needs to be a start in the mind, what we desire, what we, what we, uh, what we will for, that we align now with what God wants. And He also says, to both to will and to do. So what you desire to do, it needs to line up with what God wants, but you also have to do it, you know. um, And this probably isn't a perfect example because obviously I don't desire enough. I would like to lose weight. I would like to exercise more. I would like to eat better. But thus far in my life, my actions have not lined up with my desires. You know, I still like Mountain Dew too much. I still like potato chips too much. I still like sitting on the couch instead of going out and taking a walk too much. So I haven't lined up my will with what I'm doing, but even if I say, well, I really, really want that, but I just can't do it, it doesn't make any sense, right? So we need to desire what God wants for us, but we need to also go and do it. Um, so Ephesians 2.10, another verse that we're going to look at here. Were created for good works by God. This comes after Ephesians two eight and nine, which we just talked about about being saved, the justification. That the purpose of our salvation is to do. The purpose of our salvation is to to be workers of good works. It goes on to say here, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We should be doing what God wants us to do. He wants us to not only desire but to do. He wants us to be. People who put the Bible into action. We're not going to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We see that in James. And so the purpose here that we both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Our ultimate goal ought to be to please God. To hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we ought to be seeking. We ought to be doing it for his good pleasure. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Who wants to read? Go ahead, Matt. Verse 21 there, he's, his desire is to make you complete in every good work to do his will. Here's his will. You should be doing it. By doing that, it says, um, do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in sight. That's what's going to please him, is that we are doing what God wants us to do, that we are pleasing him, that we are obeying him. So, we, we see this, this, these two parts here. We see that we are responsible for our own salvation. We need to put the work in. We need to do what God wants us to do. But God gives us, uh, he works in us. Now, I, I think he gives us uh, tools. He gives us ways to do that. I'm going to look at this just quickly. Um, so, I don't know I'm going to even title this. We're just going to list what has God given us to help us to be able to be sanctified, be able to live for Him. What kind of tools? What kind of resources? I don't know what what term I want to use. But okay, good. That's you're you're on the right track here. Okay. Let's 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 let's. I'll, I'll give you that one second. Let's let's talk about the one at a time here. Holy Spirit. So this is important, right? Um, think of the Old Testament. The Old Testament. How how did the Holy Spirit act? Yeah. The Holy Spirit would come onto somebody for a specific task, specific thing. You think of Saul especially, the Holy Spirit would come upon him, he would do some good things leading the army of Israel, and then he'd be gone. In fact, Saul had a problem that he'd get an evil spirit that would come into him and he'd do some crazy things. How does the Holy Spirit act for us as Christians? Yeah. When you are saved, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and fills you. You are have the Spirit indwelling in you. Now, we can listen to him. We can not listen to him. We can grieve the Spirit. You know, we can do all these things. But the Holy Spirit is with us, so we have that resource. If we're putting the effort in and we're doing what's right, God's Holy Spirit is also working in us to help us to do that. It's that partnership. So good. Eric, your answer. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Although I talked too much, probably forgot. but We have the Bible, God's Word, right? Psalm 119 says, How can a young man guard his way? By taking heed according to your word. With her whole heart, I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how, how, how do we, what, what kind of tool do we have? We have the word of God. As we're putting the word of God in our lives, as we're studying it, as we're understanding it, as we're taking time to know what God's word says, that's going to help us live the right way. What else do we have? The church. Okay, good. Again, church, you're using it the right way. Nathan wasn't saying the building. He was saying the people. <laughs> Not the building, yeah. <laughs> We have each other, right? We're, we're to build up one another. We're to... Uh, encourage, we're to admonish, we're to come alongside one another, we're to share each other's burdens, we're to love one another. You can go on and on. I did a study years ago about one another's, and I had like I don't know, 16 or 18 different one another's that I categorized in the Bible. And You probably could categorize them differently, but we're here for one another. God has put us here to help each other to grow. We have accountability with each other. We, we, we have a, a common experience that we're sinners trying to be like Jesus Christ, and we're helping each other do that. So the church, great resource. What else? We have access to the throne of God. You can talk to the guy who created everything. You can talk to the guy that, according to the First Corinthians, holds all things together. You can talk to the guy who is truly the head of the body of Christ, who is in charge of it. You can talk to the guy who knows the beginning from the end. We can go in prayer to God. Do you think that's not, that is a resource? That is a huge resource. What else? Anything else? I like that, I'm putting that up there, that's good, thank you Dory. Absolutely true. That is good. Um, trials work in us. You know, the trying of our faith uh, uh, produces patience. Patience produces maturity. And then, you know, th- this whole process that goes on. So that that's that's awesome. And we don't like to hear that. Um, <laughs> and I think we've talked about this several times over the last few weeks. But you know, even Paul here is saying, "I'm in prison," and. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do with the gospel, with me being in prison and not having the freedom that I normally have. You know, He understands that this this, this little trial He's going through is just going to be for the glory of God. So, uh, trials. What else? I'm going to add this one on here. We don't maybe think of this like the other things. And the reason I bring up grace, um, one of my favorite verses, and. Some of you know that I deal with migraines and have gone to the doctor and they tried to do stuff about it and it hasn't really helped any. And at some point I, I've just said to myself, you know, it's kind of like Paul and the thorn in his flesh. And Paul said, get rid of this God. I don't want to. He asked three times. God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for us. We have God's grace in our life. And however that manifests itself, you know, we can trust in God that he's going to work, that he's going to give us the things that are beneficial to us, the things we don't deserve, that we can be uh, made like him. So I, I add that to the list. That's a good list, though, right? You know, he, um, so God is working out our salvation. He's put, oh, I remember one more. This is one I was thinking about. This is, uh, I almost forgot it. The reason I bring up this one is because in the passage in Ephesians 4 where it talks about um, us, uh, it, where it talks about the, the, the building up of the church and the edification of the body and all that, it starts out in uh, Ephesians 4.11 by saying, and God gave some of the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. And we believe that apostles and prophets are probably not for today, but pastors and teachers and evangelists, and you can put that in that category too, God's given for our benefit. So this might be a subset of believers in the church because hopefully your church will have that. Hopefully we'll have that at some point in time. But, but these are special people God has given to help us to grow and to walk in the way God wants us to. So I wanted to add that one in there. So Okay, let's move on. Um, I have a couple of verses, kind of summary verses, that summarize this two-part uh, sanctification process that we're working and God's working in us. So Second uh, Peter 1, 2 through 8 is the first one. Nathan?
2: Are yours and abound,
0: you will be or in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you look at this, and the verse begins with: look at what God's done for you. Uh, verse 3 talks about his divine power has given us all things. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to live for him, to be godly in his sight. Um He's given us the knowledge of him. So he's given us knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue. He's given us exceedingly great and precious promises in order that you be partakers of the divine nature, have escaped corruption as in the world through lust. So this whole part up to this point is all look at what God has done for you. Look at the good things God has done. Then in verse 6 it says, but for this very reason, given all diligence, this is talking about you, you be diligent now, and be diligent to do these things. And it lists a number of things that you know this leads to this, this leads to this, and so on. Um, so when you get to verse eight, um, for if these things are yours and you're bound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, very clearly, it talks about here's everything that God's done for you. You have everything that pertains to life life and God. I can't talk. Life and godliness. You have uh, these exceeding precious great promises, but you need to be diligent. You need to do your part in it too. Um, one more passage. First Corinthians fifteen ten. Here, go ahead. Here, Paul's attributing where he's at in his life to the grace of God. He says, uh, the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. At the end, he says, the grace of God was with me. So he's emphasizing the grace of God here, right? And then in the middle, he says, oh, by the way, I labored. (laughs) I did my part. I did what I was supposed to do. I labored more abundantly than they all. So God's grace is working, but I put work into it also. Um, so that's, that's kind of the two things here, that we're responsible for our own sanctification, but God works out our sanctification in our lives, and it works together. As We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. God's doing what he's doing. That helps us to grow. Um, so let's move on. We're going to cover a few more verses this morning. So what affects our sanctification? Well, number three here... I'm going to lose my mic. It's only, it only the first time, and we're already 0.3. Um, our attitude here affects the progress of our sanctification. So, command here is to do all things without complaining and disputing. That comes from an attitude, right? Um, so, so to do all things without, first of all, complaining. The idea of complaining is like a whispering. That's what the word literally means. Um, MacArthur says it's like a guttural muttering sounds that people often make when they're disgruntled. It's complaining. It's, uh, he says it's an onomatopoeia, which is a word that sounds like what it is. It's a um, So, we tend to do that a lot, right? So, we're, we're complainers as people. We, to see something happens. I, my, my biggest area where I complain is when I'm driving on the road. I just, uh, people just annoy me to no end. You're, you're turning right. Put on your signal. Um, you know, you're, you're crossing four lanes at a time on I-235. You can't do that. Do one at a time, people. Come on. It just bothers the living daylights out of me. I complain about it a lot. We, we, we find things to complain about, right? Um, God wants us to do all things without complaining. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.10. Let's read that passage. Ted. So that was the passage we're in. Let's go ahead and read the next verse that's on the list there. Uh, I sorry. I, 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 I wanted you to read First Corinthians 10, said, but that's okay. There you go. Nor complain, as some of them are also complained and we are destroyed by the destroyer. So this passage, I, I took it out of its context. This is uh, Paul is talking about the children of Israel in the Exodus and talking about that they were given to us as an example. And, and they're given to us as an example of, hey, look at them. Don't be like that. Um, and one of the things he brings up is that they, they complained. And they complained to God. Why, why have you taken out here to starve? We had food in Egypt. We had, we had all this good stuff. We didn't have to wander around. We weren't thirsty. You know, they were constantly complaining about what God was doing for them. And he took them out of slavery in Egypt. And some of them were destroyed because of their complaining. God killed off a number of them a large number, thousands, tens of thousands of them, because they were complaining about what God was doing in their lives. And that's an example for us to say don't complain. That's not what God wants you to do. Um, So they were complaining, but it says do all things without complaining, without disputing. Um, The word disputing literally means a thought or question, but it came to mean like a questioning or a doubting. Um, So the idea you're 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 doubting, you're disputing what, and I think in this context, what God's word has told you, what God is doing, you're saying, "I don't think this is right. I don't think that God's doing the right thing in my life." And God says, "Don't do that. Trust what I've given you." So, First Timothy two eight. Uh, who would like to read that? So here it's applied to prayer, but you can see the idea in there that God doesn't want you to pray without doubting God. You lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. And that's true in our life also, the way we live. We should not be doubting what God is doing. So the results here, so do things without complaining, disputing. The result, verse 15, that in order that you may become blameless. Blameless could be faultless. Um, so the idea is that you're going from a point where someone could say, "Hey, look at that Christian. He's acting like the world. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing," to the point where they say, "Well, that guy's living pretty consistently with what he believes. I can't really find a lot of fault in him. I can't really point him and say, well, you're not living like a Christian because you are." So um, that's the idea here. First uh, Thessalonians 3:12 through 13. here talks about establishing your hearts blameless or faultless before God the Father and this is um, this is as we're living for God as we're doing what he wants us to do that God's goal is that we stand before God and God says you've done a good job well done my good and faithful servant there's no fault in us there's no saying okay well you know I saved you but look how you lived your life you kind of messed it all up didn't you No, that we want to stand faultless and blameless before God um, so to become blameless, and then you become harmless. Um, harmless means unmixed. Uh, it has the idea of being pure, of being innocent. Um, in Romans 16.9, uh, Paul gives his benediction, and he tells what he wants for the Roman church here. So let's read Romans 16.9. Josiah, go ahead. For your need. And this is the word "simple" is kind of the same is the same word here. It's 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 simple concerning evil that we're innocent. We don't we don't we're not experts in evil. <laughs> we 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 live a life that's like well. Yes, I know people sin, but I don't know how to sin because I'm living for God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Now, again, does that mean we're perfect in our life? And obviously not. We will struggle with sin until the time of our glorification, but our lives ought to be moving more and more like uh, being like Christ, to to be living like him, uh, to becoming like who he is. Um, So he goes on to say here, um, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Um, And I call this be consistent as children of God. Uh, He talks about being without fault, and this is in contrast to the wickedness and perverseness around you to be without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Uh, Jude 24 uh, gives another benediction where he's talking about this is what God would want for the church. So let's read Jude 24. Lynn. So God's goal for us is that we don't stumble, that we live consistent lives, that we're walking in the right way and that we're presented faultless uh, before him when he appears. Um, So we should be without fault. Talks about shining as lights. Um, You know, I think about what lights do. I've talked about this a number of times. I have terrible night vision. Um, When I was younger, my optometrist said, you know, really... You're not a good driver in the dark. You can't see well in the dark. Um, and I, I really do struggle sometimes when I'm driving and there's like these bright LED lights shining at me from other cars, and then they pass you and then I can't see anything for like three or four seconds because it, it is hard for my eyes to adjust to that. But light in general during the day when it's bright, when the sun is out, you know, my eyes don't have any trouble. They can see what's going on. They can see what's, what's around me. They can see what is the truth of the situation I am? And I think that's what light is. As lights, we're displaying God's truth. I, th- I think a lot of times light in the Bible is related to truth, that um, you know, Jesus was the light to the world. He showed the truth to the world. He showed God's salvation, the truth in that, to the world. We're to be lights, too. We're to show the world what it means to live the right way, to live the true way. Um, Ephesians 5.8 is a verse that talks about being light. Who would like to read that? Elizabeth, go ahead. So, our position, we are light. We are light in the Lord. As God saves us, he makes us light. We're to walk as children of light. We're supposed to do the things that a child of the light would do, a child of the truth would do. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be consistent as children of God. Um, And then I said at the end here... um, Holding fast the word of life so that we may rejoice in the day of Christ, there's a consistent living and proving of the word of God in our lives. That we're holding fast the word of life, we're doing what God's word tells us to do. So, then let us see here. Um, this is Paul's goal for his ministry. Um, he wants his children to be walking in the right way, to be consistent with uh, who they are in Christ. And he adds that on, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So he's rejoicing. Um, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. This is when we stand before God, and you know there's rewards for us as Christians. So we stand before the bema seat. And Paul will be rejoicing in that, that his ministry has been effective. Uh, because of their faithfulness, that they have done what God wants them to do. And that his effort was not in vain. That he didn't put all this effort into seeing them become not only saved, but become people who love God, who are living the right way, he puts all this effort in to see them actually do it. This brings Paul great rejoicing. So that's Paul's goal for his rejoicing. Now, I want to talk about one last thing here in verses 17 and 18. So number four is God provides others for our sanctification. We already talked about this over here, down here. But I think you see this in verse 17 and 18. It says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So, this is what I think Paul is saying, is that this is his purpose, is to serve the church, to help them be who they're supposed to be, to help them be consistent with who God wants them to be. Um, So, Paul's possible situation, he's being poured out as a drink offering. He says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, what does that mean? How do you get poured out as a drink offering? It's a sacrifice. He's using it very specifically here. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. Go ahead, Nathan. 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul wrote, and um, he knew his death was at hand. He knew he was going to be with the Lord soon. And look at the way he talks about it. He's being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. This is, it's imminent. It's, it's, it's right now. I'm going to be with the Lord soon. In fact, he goes on in verse 7, we talked about fighting the fight and running the race and stuff. He says, I've, I've, I've fought the good fight. Past tense, I'm done fighting. I finished the race. There's nothing left for him to do. He knows his time as I had. So, this idea of being poured out as a drink offering, he's saying, even if, even if I die in service to you as a church, he's going to say, this is what my purpose is. This is what God has for me. And as a reminder in Philippians 1, remember he talked about that he doesn't know if he's going to live or die, if he's going to uh, be with Christ, which is far better, or if he's going to stay here, which is good for the church. At the end, he says, I I realize I'll stay here for your benefit. Um, But he he was unsure even in his imprisonment when he was in Philippians here what the outcome was going to be at this point. Um, He wasn't sure if it was going to lead to freedom, if he was going to just be imprisoned the rest of his life, if he was going to die. He wasn't sure where he was going with this. Um, But he knows that even if God ends his life because of his ministry to the church, this is what God had purpose for him. This is what God had for him to do to help the church live the way they were supposed to live. So he's being poured out as a drink offering in order to serve the church, and, and that I get from the sacrifice and service of your faith. So he's serving their belief. He's serving what they're doing, how they're growing. Um, he's there to serve the church. Uh, let's look at First Peter 2, 4, 2 4 through 5 Dad, Go ahead. Um, here, uh, you look at this, um, what are we to be doing? We're to be serving God's design and purpose. It says, we're being built up as living stones, a spiritual household, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Our lives ought to be in sacrifice to the service of what God wants us to do. And part of that is to serve others around us, to help them to grow. Um, Romans 14, 7 and 8. read? Go ahead, Dr. Paul. So here, it, it, it shouldn't matter to us what the outcome of our life is as long as we're doing it for the Lord. Whether we live, we live for the Lord. Or whether we die, we die for the Lord. It's all in service to him. It's all doing what he wants us to do to serve the church. So Paul's attitude here is, uh, he talks about that. If, he's, if this is happening to him, if I'm being sacrificed, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, if I'm dying in service to you, I'm glad and rejoice for you all. Paul's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about, you know, what what he's doing ten years down the road. What his ten-year plan is. He's serving God and serving the church. And if he can do that, he's glad and he rejoices. So he's he's glad. There's a happiness and there's a rejoicing. There's a rejoicing in what God is doing. Uh, let's look at Philippians three seven and eight. Go ahead, Matt. This passage in the passage where Paul's talking about, you know, that he's the Jew of Jews. He, he was trained. He was zealous for the Lord. He did all these things. And, and he was this prominent guy. He was this well-known guy. He was this guy who had a, a outstanding place among the Jewish leaders. And he says, but in comparison to knowing Christ, I count that all garbage. That's all rubbish. That's nothing. That, but to me, is most important. It, 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 I count the loss of all things. For the excellence is just knowing Christ. And so his focus is on Jesus Christ. His focus is on serving there. So, our application we see in verse 18, for the same reason, what's the same reason? Even if you're being poured out as a drink offering, but as long as you're serving what God wants to serve, or you're doing what God wants you to do, for this same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So, we're to be glad, we're to rejoice. And we're going we're to do it with Paul, that God is working in the way he is. So a couple takeaways here. Let's look at these quick. Um, our sanctification takes effort. Uh, we can assume that we become like Christ. We, we can't assume we will. We cannot. Okay. Type will put it cannot in there. We cannot assume we will become like Christ without putting the work into our lives. Um, sometimes I think I should be reading this out loud beforehand, I guess. Um, Is a continual effort to make sure we are doing the things Christ wants us to do. So we have to put that effort in. We have to work. We have to do our part of being like Christ. But on the other side of the coin, God desires our sanctification and will thus give us the power and the tools to be like him. We can trust in God's faithfulness to give us the ability to live how he wants us to live. And we talked a lot about that. So, yes, hard part. Go do your work. Go do your homework you got to work hard at this. Every moment of the day, every decision you make, every thought you have, you need to make sure that you're doing the right thing. But the good part is that God is there with you. God is working in you. He's helping you through that. So you have both that. Um, next application there from point three, complaining and disputing work against our sanctification. Therefore, we as Christians should remove them from our lives. I think that's pretty easy. Um, you know, if you're if you're type that complains about a lot of stuff at the time that now it's what God is doing. You need to put that aside. You need to trust God and you need to do what's right. And lastly, God puts others in our lives who minister to us and help us grow to be like him. Sometimes they sacrifice their lives for us like Paul did for the Philippians. And I'm not necessarily that he died for them, but he made sacrifices. He put aside his life so he could serve God's design in their life. Uh, we should be glad and rejoice that God has given those people to us for our benefit. You know, I think, and I know a lot of you, I know that you're thankful for the people around you, that you're thankful for this church, for this body, and the work that's going on here. And that's, that's right and good. We can thank God for that and be uh, appreciative of what God is working in our life. Next week, um, depending on what's going on, we're going to talk about uh, Timothy and how Timothy was able to minister. That, that's the next thing. So it jumps from this, that Paul's being poured out as a drink offering for the service of our faith. Oh, by the way, here's Timothy consider him so that's what we'll be going towards next week any thoughts questions concerns eric Excuse me, I, I know that what the Bible teaches us about salvation that God desires all men to be saved. Um, if someone comes to true knowledge of Christ, that they uh, understand their sinfulness, their depravity before God, they understand that Christ is their sacrifice, who took their sin upon them and given them his righteousness, and they, they trust in his death and resurrection, the gospel, that God's going to save him. God desires that. And um, our salvation is by nothing we do none of us are saved by anything that's good in us, by any good work that we do, by any effort of our own. Our salvation is fully from God. Those of us who are saved younger and have years to live out, we have the opportunity to show our thankfulness and to show our our praise to God by living our lives for him and doing what God wants us to do. That's a gift to us. If someone accepts Christ five minutes before they die, they don't get that gift to live their life for Christ, but they get the gift of salvation because God provides that freely to all men who believe. Yes? Yeah. Been, uh, the and, uh, he's with Jesus. yeah. That is a great example, yeah. I think, uh, you know, speaking about complaining and stuff, this is one of those things where we could look at it and go, well, that's not really fair. He didn't live for Christ, you know, whatever. And we need to look at it the other way again. Like I said, I think we need to look at as this is a gift for us that we can serve Christ, we can accomplish his will, not only in our lives but in the lives of people around us. We get that opportunity to do that here on earth. Um, we need to take advantage of that. We need to be uh, doing our best to, to please God in everything we do and then... That there's rewards for that in heaven. Uh, God talks about those who are faithful. That you know, they, the gold, silver, precious stones. Um, they're gonna have something to show for that. The, the things of heaven are gonna last. So, so yeah, that's a good question. Does that answer it? Okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's a hard thing. You look at passages like Romans seven again. I have a very high opinion of Paul. Uh, maybe I talk to Paul. He wouldn't. Uh, he'd probably say, oh, "You shouldn't have had such a high opinion of me. I'm just a man, just like you." Um, but Romans seven, he talks about that he wills to do what God wants him to do, but he, he doesn't do it. And the things that he doesn't want to do, those are the things he does. It's a constant struggle. It's not sanctification is never easy. And you know, when you have the desire to sin, yes, you need to say, "Hey, nope, this is not right." Um, you know, and praying that God would, God would not give you the opportunity. I think that's not bad. I think also training our mind that when that desire comes in, okay, how do I, um, how do I respond with Scripture? You know, um, if if you are a type of person that before you are saved, were a kleptomaniac, you stole a lot of things, and that desire is still there, then you learn verses like in Ephesians 4, where it talks about not stealing, but, uh, but working hard so they may give to others. You know, you start putting scripture in your mind and say, no, this is what God wants me to do. This is what's right. Um, because it's great if you don't have the opportunity, but how are you ever tested if you don't have the opportunity to sin? So what we need to do, we need to start with that desire and train our mind, rethink, renew our mind, rethink our mind. Uh, that we put off the old man, we put on the new man, and then between those two things, it talks about renewing your mind in Ephesians 4. So, um, yeah. So I, I don't think it's. I think you're right. I think you know. Just pray if, if I'm weak, I don't want. To, I don't want that opportunity at that point. But then going on, okay. I, I know this is the area I'm weak, in, so let me start training that by God's word also and moving forward. I think that's a. That's the next step along the line. If that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to get test if you have patience if you're not tried on your patience, right? And, um, you know, the, the worst part about all of it is that we got all that temptation, all that stuff inside of us to start with, and that's all we need to work on, giving over the control of the Christ into the Holy Spirit, because we're our own worst enemy. You know, it's the, the devil, the world, and the, ourself, and ourself is the hardest one. It's always there with us. Any other thoughts, questions? Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, uh, Matthew, will you close us in prayer?